Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. We are still in the same worship series that we've been in over the last several weeks, but you might remember we finished our readings from 1 Thessalonians. We're switching over now, relocating to the near end of Matthew's gospel where Jesus goes on a storytelling spree. He's going to tell three in a row tonight and two more for our worship series called Wait For It. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look! Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridegrooms, bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, Uh-uh. There won't be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, this parable has had me in knots this past week. I mean, I would have been in knots this past week with or without this parable, but this story straight from Jesus's mouth just sealed it. He and I have had quite a few conversations about it this week, not all of them friendly, and I am still not sure we're seeing eye to eye. Lord knows I've tried. I know, of course, and you probably do too, that a lot of the trouble comes from our trying to read parables as allegories. You know, like the stalks of wheat in Jesus' story, one of the ones in Matthew 13. The stalks of wheat are his faithful followers, and the weeds are the people who reject him. And the harvest is complicated because they're all tangled up together in the field, but eventually farmer God comes along and mows it all down and sorts it all out, and the weeds get thrown into the fire, which is obviously hell, and there you have it. Everybody knows that's how it works. Or the widow in his story in Luke 18 who needs a ruling in her favor. She is all the poor and disenfranchised people of the world pounding on the door of the judge's house, only In Jesus' story, he is an unjust judge, unlikely to do the right thing on his own. But her persistence gets on his last nerve until he finally gives in and does the right thing for the wrong reason. And Jesus says, pray like that, 
And we're like, wait, so if the widow is all of us and the pounding is the praying, then the unjust judge is God who renders justice only when and if we are noisy enough? Huh? You have heard me say it before. Many, 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 most of Jesus' parables do not work as allegories where every element in the made-up story has a real-life corollary. If they are allegories, then the wheat stands for us, and the burning of weeds is eternal punishment for everyone who's not us. And the unjust judge is actually the God of the universe, and so on. You see, if we read parables as allegories, we get a distorted view of God, and a distorted view of ourselves, and a distorted view of the relationship between God and ourselves. Like Jesus' story about the bridesmaids that we read from Matthew 25. Now, I just want to pause right here before we get too much into it. I would like to claim a point of personal privilege here. I would like to start by saying that the word that the new RSV has translated bridesmaid here is parthenos. A parthenos in Greek is a young unmarried woman, though it has traditionally been translated virgin in the New Testament, particularly in support of the virginal purity of Mary, mother of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, where a prophecy is remembered from the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah 7. Look, the Parthenos shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Meaning, for the prophecy to come true, Mary has to be miraculously impregnated with Holy Spirit spunk, round yon virgin, and all that. But the use of Parthenos in Matthew 25 to name the members of the wedding party who wait to accompany the groom into the wedding feast reminds us of the broader use of that term. A parthenos would be an appropriate bridesmaid in an ancient wedding because traditionally bridesmaids are meant to vouch for the purity of the bride and her suitability to carry on an unpolluted bloodline. Parthenoi, the plural, were assumed to be virginal, yes, because they were unmarried, the emphasis on their relational status rather than their sexual experience or lack thereof. Meaning, for Mary, the mother of Jesus, we have made an awful lot of her supposed virginity for the sake of a miraculous pregnancy when the emphasis should or at least could be on her unmarried state. So that Isaiah would have said, look, a young unmarried woman shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him God with us. Meaning that Jesus is born into this world without the social stability of proper parentage, the bastard son of a girl in trouble. In much the same way that Jesus dies an ignominious death, crucified, naked in front of his mother, bookending God's life in the flesh with downward mobility on both sides, perfectly consistent with the name Emmanuel, God with us, all the way down with us, completely divested of privilege and power, which I think is a richer understanding of Mary 
and Isaiah and Matthew and most of all, Jesus. Okay, wow, that's got like next to nothing to do with the parable in Matthew 25. But Advent is coming and Mary's going to show up here just like she does every year, begging us to see her for who she really is. And if you know me, you know I'm really unhappy with the way women's bodies and women's sexuality have been met with fear and loathing in the church's history. So if this parable about the Parthenoi, the bridesmaids, can help us out linguistically, I am here for it. Anyway, I know some of y'all have already put up your Christmas trees, and Steph put an Advent hymn in the worship order for tonight. Don't at me. All right, back to the parable. Thank you. You got these ten Parthenoi, ten bridesmaids, whose function in this wedding, in addition to vouching for the bride's purity, is to sort of chaperone the groom into the hall where the wedding and presumably the bride herself uh, assuming the heteronormativity of the time and the place, are waiting. Instead of nosegays of flowers dyed to match their dresses and pumps, these bridesmaids carry clay lamps with fabric wicks that draw oil up and burn it to cast a steady little circle of light. The groom is inexplicably delayed. No one can raise him by phone or by text. And after several hours of anxious waiting, the bridesmaids and everyone else are exhausted. All of them became drowsy and slept, Jesus says. And it's interesting, he doesn't sound mad about it. He'll say at the end of the story that the point is to keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's far from the only time he tells his followers to keep awake, stay woke, because the life of following Jesus involves plenty of waiting. We know it. It's this in-between time that we've been talking about for these last several weeks, in between when you first learn to recognize what God wants and when at the rainbow's end, the arc of the moral universe finally bends all the way to justice, it is a long-ass arc, we have learned. There is lots of waiting involved. Indeed, throughout the New Testament, we see signs that Jesus' first followers were learning how to wait, that the end of the world as they knew it, the remodeling of all creation to God's liking, was not necessarily around the next corner. In the meantime, they were going to have to love each other and get along like they meant it. And they were going to have to take care of each other, be family for each other in the absence of families of origin who just could not get on board with who they knew God was calling them to be. And they were going to have to honor the Holy Spirit in each other, even in Gentiles, even in enslaved people, even in slaveholders, even in Women, letting the Holy Spirit blow apart the scaffolding of hierarchy on which their social world was built. And they were going to have to bury some beloveds and suffer under empire and raise their kids in a hostile world that did not want what was best for them. All of that and so much more while they waited. So here's Jesus telling a story 
about waiting, about the waiting bridesmaids, the young unmarried women all dressed up for a party that cannot start till the groom shows up, combining the lights from their little lamps to cast a wide circle of warmth and welcome and waiting, keeping awake, staying woke until they just can't anymore. And so they fall asleep, leaning against each other, probably waiting for the shout from the lookout who is posted down the road in the dark. And here's the deal, Jesus says. Waiting a long time like that, it doesn't just wear you out. It depletes your reserves, exhausts your supply in a way that no nap nor even a good night's sleep will restore. Like oil in a lamp, when it's burned up, it's gone. You know how it is. Right at first, you stock your pantry with wholesome foods you can feel good about cooking for yourself or your family day after day, meal after meal. But seven months in, you find yourself sucking jelly off a spoon while you stand in the light of the open refrigerator trying to decide if styrofoam is sufficient to keep leftover sushi fresh since Monday if today is Thursday. But wait, is it Thursday? Because every day is Blur's Day after so long. And so you eat the sushi anyway. What the hell? Still standing at the fridge thinking that even a little bout of food poisoning would be at least something. Waiting is hard. Waiting depletes you like the flame flickering out on a lamp that's got no oil. In Jesus' story, when the shout comes, the bridesmaids startle awake and realize their lamps have sputtered out. They hustle to relight them, but only half of them have thought ahead to bring flasks of fuel reserves. The rest are SOL. No one will share with them at the risk of their own lamp going out a couple hours from now, and it's midnight, which is a hard time to buy what you need in ancient Palestine, not known for its 24-hour quick trip at every highway exit. And if this story were an allegory, where everything in the story stands for something or somebody in real life, what we would have here is an endorsement of the worst kind of sanctimonious, holier-than-thou Christianity. Those wise bridesmaids are, can I say it, real bitches who have it so together that they brought extra oil just in case, but who won't give up a drop to help the foolish bridesmaids who, I'm sorry, just never imagined in a million years that the groom could be such an asshole, leaving everybody waiting without so much as an explanation. And that groom, is he supposed to be Jesus? Because when he shuts that door behind him and won't let the foolish bridesmaids in later, because why? Because they are late? Are you kidding me, mister? I didn't show up for my own wedding until midnight and don't ask me any questions about it? Such hypocrisy. I hate him. It won't work, see? To read it as an allegory, I mean, we're going to end up with distorted ideas about God and distorted ideas about ourselves and distorted ideas about the relationship between God and ourselves. For one thing, we'll end up with the idea that there are really two kinds of bridesmaids in the world, the wise and the foolish, and we have learned around here to be understandably suspicious of binaries of all kinds. So this one rings false as well. 
we know, as well as Jesus does, that we are, all of us, a chocolate vanilla froyo swirl of wise and foolish, sometimes woke and sometimes exhausted, sometimes ready for all the contingencies of life in the in-between time, our little light shining brightly, and sometimes suffering under all the heavy burdens life piles on our backs, our dimly burning wicks in danger of being quenched by the slightest puff of just one more disappointment. Jesus knows that. His whole life he's been showing them that he understands the complexity of the lived human experience. He doesn't move through the world categorizing the bridesmaids in his path as either wise or foolish. This story has got to be saying something else. For another thing, if we read this parable allegorically and put Jesus in a tux for his starring role as the late-arriving groom, well, yeah, we're going to wonder why all of a sudden he's so into closing doors, shutting people out, when all along the way he's been telling them that if ye seek, ye shall find, if ye ask, it will be given unto you, and if ye knock, the door shall be opened unto you. Like he said that, like a lot of times that God's arms are open wide, waiting for every last prodigal child to come stumbling home, sending servants out into the highways and byways to find every last lost soul and invite them to the wedding feast of the reign of God. So what's up with these bitchy bridesmaids and the grumpy groom? It's not going to work as an allegory church. It's just not. Because it's a parable It's a riddle that spawns riddles. It's meant to raise more questions than it answers. It's meant to furrow our brows and rattle around in our brains long past the telling. Sleepy bridesmaids, a party that can't start till the groom gets there, not enough oil in some of the lamps to keep them lit, the disappointment over being disinvited to the party, the kingdom of heaven will be like that, Jesus says, the reign of God, God getting everything God wants, will be like that. Like that? Like what? Well, there's an answer I've been working on for a little while, not just this week, but, you know, longer than that. Let me give it a spin tonight. It might not be the answer that you feel is most seriously imaginable, and that's okay. Don't trust anybody who tells you they've got a parable pinned down. (laughs) But here's my attempt. The reign of God, indeed, God getting everything God wants, You could liken that to a party. Lots of the prophets did it. A lavish wedding feast, even, where someone, not you, has gone to great expense to fill all the tables with rich food and all the cups with amazing wine, and you are invited, and you, and you, and you, and you, everybody's invited, all are welcome at the table of our Lord. The good and the bad, the wise and the foolish, our beloveds and our enemies, all of us together. But it would be a mistake to think that once you've got an invitation in hand, all you have to do is wait for the date and show up. Because some of us have more than an invitation to the party. Some of us have been designated as bridesmaids for this wedding. That is to say, we've got responsibilities 
some stuff we are meant to do in preparation for this party. If you have ever been part of a wedding party as a bridesmaid or a groomsman or an attendant for either of the happy couple, you know that it is a job of work. Parties like the one Jesus and the prophets described again and again do not just happen. There are logistics. There are tasks. There's a long list of miscellany things to do to get it all ready for everybody else, the regular guests. Call it lamplighting, lighting the way for the groom, say, in the literal details of this story, probably also for the guests who arrived earlier, and you were asked to do it. And you said, sure. And then you had one job, keep those lamps lit, but no one came around to micromanage that responsibility. How you took care of it was up to you. You were trusted, you beautiful bridesmaid. And some of Jesus' followers understand that really well and take it very seriously that we have been granted some agency in this sooner or later coming reign of God project, the movement of human history toward God getting everything God wants. We fill our lamps and fill our flasks, alert long before the wedding night that we are not in control of the timetable. We are just here to do the thing we've been given to do. And some of Jesus' followers don't quite get it that they have agency in the run-up to this wedding feast, even though he has told them, your faith has made you well. Even though he has challenged them, you give them something to eat. Even though he has given away the very keys to the kingdom, demonstrating his unbelievable willingness to trust us to make something happen, to bend this ark, to move this world in his name and with his spirit, but by our active and alert cooperation. The partnership we are baptized into when we say yes to God's reign some of Jesus' followers, some of those bridesmaids just haven't understood that we pray on the end of a shovel handle, if you catch my drift. Which, if you don't, makes for rather foolish prayers, Jesus might say. Like the kind where you pray, help me, O Lord, to pass this exam, when you have not studied for that exam. Or, heal the world from this virus, O God, when you will not stay home and will not wear a mask when you go out. Foolish bridesmaids, foolish hope disconnected from one's own agency in the matter. Not that I've never prayed like that, mind you. The hopeless cause, the desperate Hail Mary. It's only in the imagined world of Jesus' story that the door is shut hard and locked against me on the days I'm all out of oil. In the real world... God grants me entrance exactly when I am most depleted, dry as a bone, my light extinguished. Haven't you found that to be true? The story in Matthew 25 then serves to call us to a higher aspiration. Not just a welcome guest at the party. All are welcome at the table of our Lord. All. All. 
But a member of the wedding party with an essential assignment, a helper, a collaborator, a co-conspirator in the reign of God. See, this is Jesus telling us again that he would really appreciate some help here and that he knows we've got it in us, that it is not beyond our capacity to pull the reign of God a little bit nearer to this present moment. Let it shine, he says. Let it shine. Show the way. Take a nap if you need to. But stay woke when you can. I'll be back soon-ish, depending on your definition of soon. So we wait, church. Keep your lamp lit. It'll come. Wait for it. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, Go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.